When the new sanctuary was built at Park Road Baptist Church in 1964, while much more grandiose than the simple meeting houses of the Puritans, the design of this room shared some of the Puritans' theology. Nothing was to come before the worshiper between the worshiper and God. There should be no icons, no gaudy colors, no stained glass, no banners, no images, no crosses. When the cross was added to the screen above the baptistry two decades after this room was built, some viewed it as heresy, a desecration of the Spartan beauty of this room's design. The vaulted ceiling should direct the worshiper's eyes heavenward, and nothing was to hinder that view. The room was built with worship in mind, and worship was built with God in mind. Every element of worship was to be carefully conceived, meticulously planned. Upon entering the sanctuary, the worshiper was to sit in silence and prepare to worship God. The bulletin was to be reviewed, every line of the bulletin, the worshiper noting any salient points of interest, noting any nuances of theological disagreement. Worship was not a performance. Humor was to be avoided. There was no children's time, and clapping was expressly prohibited. The music was to be crafted and offered to God, not performed for the edification of those in the pew. Clapping is for entertainment. Worship of God is not entertainment. A note that was included on the back page of every bulletin in the 1980s speaks well for the understanding of worship in that era. Be still. Worship begins in the narthex where warmth and quiet encourages a transition from the turmoil outside. It continues in the beauty of holiness during the prelude when an extraneous thought is an invasion of one's own worship and any unnecessary speaking is profane. It is climaxed in the order of praise, of hearing, and of commitment in the fellowship of believers. Conversation is inappropriate and may be distracting to others. It is a fearful thing to deny one's neighbor the privilege of worship. Surely this is the place of worship and perhaps to some a gate to heaven. Let all the earth keep silent. That was on the bulletin. It explains a lot about the way we worshiped in this room many years ago. It explains maybe why some people who were from this church from that era feel like we've changed an awful lot. Uh, that, that when Amy and I came here, an awful lot changed in our worship. Even though we're fairly formal, there is a different feel to worship than what you re read on the bulletin there from 40 years ago. The choir loft itself was designed to maximize worship in this room, to minimize entertainment. The organ, where it sits today, is almost a foot above the original elevation. The keys and the manuals of that instrument and all the machinations of a busy organist, the frantic pulling of stops, the artistic massaging of keys with hands and feet, that should never be the focal point. You see, we need to hear Roxanne, but never see her. She might distract us from God. <laughs> Likewise, the choir will need to be directed, but the director was to be hidden. 
All that waving of hands might be confused as theatrical. To minimize any possible distraction from a gesticulating egotist standing in front of the choir, a small door behind the organ, it's still there, provided ingress and egress into the choir loft from the rear hallway of the sanctuary. As worship began, the organist and the choir director were to slip through the hidden door behind the organ and to remain tucked away in the deep organ well where they would never be seen. From this point, even the church's first choir director, J.D. Morrison, at six feet five inches tall, could conduct with his long arms and never be seen. I kid you not. Charlie Milford, Park Road's founding pastor and the architect of this room and of this worship style, personally shared with me the history that I have just recounted to you. When he explained his theology of the trap door and the conductor's arms in the choir, I asked him, Charlie, why then did you not put a black scrim in front of the pulpit to conceal you from the congregation? You know, your gesticulating might get in the way of the all-important words that you were speaking. And he just scoffed, oh, Russ, that's different. I said, Charlie, it's not different. Now, I disagreed with certain elements of Charlie's theology then and now, but I have deep, deep appreciation for the way he approached his work as a preacher. That is, the portion of his job uh, of a pastor that was dedicated specifically to this one hour each Sunday morning. Crafting worship was of utmost importance then and now. I'm glad we have learned from some very good mentors, Charlie Milford and Alan Lehman here, David Matthews and Steve Shoemaker and Susan Hall as mentors of ours. And at the center of good worship has always been good music. Now, Charlie would disagree with what I'm about to say to you, but in my understanding, there is no right music for worship. Some of us use organs and cellos and flutes, and we sing 300-year-old music for choral anthems. Other churches use electric guitars and drums. I cannot imagine that God really cares. I have told you before that what is important to me is our theology. And if the only way that we could safeguard a theology of inclusion and welcome, of openness to God, and of continual discovery of mystery, if the only way we could keep this church alive to be able to share that kind of theology with our community, if the only way would be to replace the organ with a Gibson Telecaster and a drum kit, I would do it tomorrow. Next week, you'd find me in jeans and a t-shirt roaming the stage as I preached. I'm very glad we have not had to do that, and I personally hope we never will. But the point is, the style of music, I don't think matters to God. I like our style of music, but it's just an opinion, you know. What I believe is that good music will always be important, always central to the experience of worship, because music speaks to people's souls. Some chords ring happiness and some sadness and mystery and surprise. 
Good music will always be significant, a significant communicator of theological values, not a complement to the spoken message, but a significant proclamation of the message itself. We all learn more theology from the music than from the sermons. As our hymn says it so well, when in our music God is glorified, it is as if all creation cried, hallelujah. May it be so.
How do you follow that? Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Roxanne. Elton John just gave his last concert on his final farewell tour that's been going on since 2018. <laughs> because audiences can't get enough. That's how I feel in this moment when the choir comes together with these musicians and we sit here and we listen to it together as a gathered community of faith, I can't get enough. You know that feeling? This summer, we're using Proverbs to guide our way. There is only one proverb that mentions music at all. Proverbs 25:20. 20. It is not a gift to us today. Like vinegar on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Like a moth in clothing or a worm in wood, sorrow gnaws at the human heart. Music 
speaks so deeply to us that we should be careful with it. You should be careful, young people, to the lyrics that you listen to. They influence you in deep, deep ways, ways beyond anything you can understand. When we ride on the bus, they play their music. I love it. I cannot stand that we've gone to earphones and everybody's listening to their own music. We never have to pick out anything on the bus again as a group. Of course, it's difficult because I can only take three bad words on a church bus and then I'm like, ah, it hurts my ears on the church bus. You got to turn that off. So they find the clean versions and I am very grateful. I think this proverb is trying to tell us something about how music speaks so deeply to us. And sometimes, like vinegar on a wound, music can hurt instead of heal. I've told this story before because some stories bear repeating. You're going to hear it again today because it's just too good of a story on the 4th of July week that ends with a worship service focused on music to not tell the story again. So if you've heard it, you've got about that much to zone out. The year was 1989. Russ and I were young and cool then, and we hosted my then 10-year-old nieces in Louisville, Kentucky for Camp Russ and Amy for the 4th of July holiday. We got this brilliant idea to order pizza from the then pretty new Papa John's Pizza. They didn't have it in Clinton, I can promise you that. So we got a pizza and we launched our little 1965 16-foot inboard Correct Craft Mustang boat it was ugly. We launched it on the Ohio River to watch the fireworks while we ate pizza on the boat. Apparently, the rest of the boating community of Louisville had the exact same idea. I am absolutely positive we were the smallest boat on the river that night. In hindsight, we should have just waited until all the other boats cleared out after the fireworks before heading back to the boat ramp to take our boat out of the water. Instead, Russ had the bright idea, let's get a little head start on those other boats, only to very shortly be overtaken by the yachts that were also making their way to the boat ramp. It was worse than the ocean. I had never before then, and I have never since then, grabbed a life jacket in our boat to actually think about saving my life. That night, the girls and I donned our life jackets and went to the back of the boat, and I sat in the middle with my arms around both of them, pulling them in tight, but trying all the while to act like I was not afraid. I was terrified. So I did what any very afraid young aunt fearing she was about to drown her siblings' children would do. 
I suggested that we sing, you know, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Without missing a beat, Jennifer made her song request. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's what we sang. Even though I had tried to be calm, I'm guessing she had an inkling that we might be about to meet our maker. Whether happy or sad, we turned to music. Activist, writer, and spiritual leader in the civil rights movement, Barbara Holmes, says this, when all else fails, we sing ourselves sane. When all else fails, we sing ourselves sane. Can you really grow older each year without someone singing happy birthday to you? Whether planning a funeral or a wedding, be prepared for the time it takes to sift through the music so that the service, whether a service of joy or a service of sorrow, the music is what helps it feel just right. This past Tuesday on July 4th, and coming off of last Sunday with Trust in the Lord with All Your Heart, proverb camp song fresh on my lips, I was holding this past Tuesday my one new one-month-old niece. I was holding her inside while everyone else was outside enjoying the fireworks. Reese was not a fan. So I took her inside and I swaddled her tight and I sat down in the rocking chair and I had her up on my shoulder so that her ear was right at my lips. And I poured words into her, not only to calm the moment, but I hoped that I was pouring words that would sink way down deep inside her in some unconscious place, and that these words would last her a lifetime. Reese, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Reese, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Reese, do not lean to your own understanding. Reese, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Reese, in all your ways acknowledge God. Reese, in all your ways acknowledge God. Reese, God will make, God will make your pathway straight. Reese, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Oh, I hope she carries that with her for a lifetime. Now, I don't have a good tune about vinegar on a wound. But I think I know what this proverb means. For our prayer of intercession today. Keely and I are going to sing our prayer. We sang it recently together for a funeral of a young woman. And this is what the proverb means. I contacted her parents this week to give them a heads up. 
so that they wouldn't be caught off guard today. I didn't want this song to be vinegar on their wound. They had requested, be still my soul for her funeral, and it is well, well, it's a trigger for many. And yet my prayer is that perhaps this prayerful song will be a balm for those who grieve, a healing sound for those who suffer. That is our prayer this day. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on my side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In everything, God patient will remain. Be still, my soul, your best eternal friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. May it be so. Amen. Thank you.